Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. For the one who answers only to the will of God written in Scripture, the words people speak and the judgments they make are immaterial. More than that, in Matthew, the one who hears the commandment with a pure heart carries it out like a Roman soldier, willing to say, or not say, or do whatever it takes to deliver the mission. God forbid your self-righteous, enlightened, ethical, and moral judgment of his means interfere with an end willed by God himself. Like the man said, Judge not, that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And by your standard of measure, it shall be measured to you again. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, verses 11 to 14. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. This is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 410 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Coming off of last week's episode, I have emphasized more than once... In more than one talk, and most recently in my homily this Sunday, the importance of recognizing that we are no better than the characters in the story, and at the same time, recognizing that we can't judge the characters in the story and we can't judge ourselves. That is a hard, difficult pill to swallow. But this issue of not passing judgment is the bitter pill at the close of the canon. Remember that the Gospel of Matthew is the seal of the Pauline school, and it makes sense in this sense that the epistles of the pillars and finally of Judas, which are the signature of the Pauline school just before the book of Revelation, pull together this Matthaean theme, which is the theme of the Pauline school, that there is one judge, and none of us are allowed to say yea or nay about ourselves or anyone else. This is critical. You can't condemn yourself, and you can't approve of yourself. When you condemn yourself, which is typical of piety and spirituality, where you talk about how bad you are and how poor you are and what a terrible sinner you are, this kind of language, when you go beyond the bounds of what the text says in describing yourself, 
when you play that game, you're giving yourself license to look down your nose at other people. And you can't do that. You can't even look down your nose at Judas. And at the end of the canon, Judas explains that Michael wouldn't even judge Satan before the time. So who are you to judge? It's a very serious matter, Rich, and I think there's much to learn in this regard from the silence of Jesus Christ standing before a human judge. This point about Scripture being the only judge, it's easy to downplay that, but it's really a radical statement because, first of all, it means you cannot judge, which is what you've been saying, and secondly, it means that if you want to have any hope of knowing what the criteria are, you have to know Scripture. It's getting kind of boring at this point, Father, because we keep talking about Bible as the reference, but what can I say? I mean, this is, again, a reminder that it's the only reference. I mean, we talked about recently the teaching of the high priest and how it covered accounting well, but it didn't cover guilt or innocence about the death of an innocent person. So that teaching clearly falls short, and I always see how the way that people judge others is often their idea of what truth is. So this person lied because they're inconsistent with this fact, which I hold dear. And it goes back and forth, whether you're talking about guns or masks or anything. It comes down to what do you think the facts are based on the things that you read. And when you do that, the things that you read become de facto your canon. And those measuring sticks that you're applying to your knowledge are fallible human creations. And for the person who is Christian, for the person who decides that this text is the canon of truth, those other sources are not worth anything. In fact, those sources must incline to this text. You are not allowed to say anything before the time. Now, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say, and right out of the gate, I'm going to say what I know Dr. Benton is checking. He's looking at the Greek. It's a bad translation. Jesus is not confirming that it is as he said. Jesus just said in Greek, You said it. That's what you said. Notice the theological or the theologized or the historicized bias of the translator. Obviously, Jesus is confirming what he said because obviously Jesus is the king of the Jews. What do you mean, obviously? Jesus isn't doing anything. He's just like a guy in an audit. He's not adding to or subtracting. Everybody knows that when you're getting audited, you don't volunteer any information. <laughs> Jesus is not volunteering any information. He's just confirming what the guy said. It's like watching an episode of Perry Mason, Rich. Yeah, when the governor speaks... Actually, Father, you're right. You caught me red-handed. I was looking up the Greek precisely when you said that. <laughs> but the governor... Uh, logically can only be doing one of two things. One, he can be confirming what Scripture says, or he can be contradicting what Scripture says. Either way, the reference point is Scripture. Jesus already knows what Scripture says, so the governor can't add any information. So he says, 
you're saying it. Okay. If you want to keep talking, please do. You're the governor. I'm just Jesus. Or you can stop talking. You do what you have to do. Scripture says what is, what stands out, what is real. And then there's you talking. So whichever you want to do. And this is, again, difficult to apply because... As you can tell, it doesn't further the conversation. Jesus only has one thing to say during this entire conversation with the governor, and that's, you're saying it. That's all he has to say. If you're going to talk, you talk. If you don't want to talk, don't talk. I don't have anything to add. If you want to know what I have to say, read scripture, because I'm either going to contradict it, which I'm not going to, or I'm going to repeat it. So we can save time for both of us. Go read it. Go listen to it. But I don't have anything to add either. So Jesus is always teaching, as we've been saying. And so by making this statement, he's pointing back to Scripture as the only reference. Indirectly, he doesn't mention Scripture, but the point is that if he's guilty of being the king of the Jews, it's because Scripture says he's the king of the Jews. If he's not guilty of being the king of the Jews, it's because he's not living up to what Scripture says. However, the governor is not looking to Scripture for the evidence And so he's going to make his own decision, and Jesus can't do anything about it. And Christ isn't validating the governor. He's neither confirming nor denying, except to confirm, you said this. And as to whether or not it's scriptural, as to whether or not it's correct, I'm not the judge. And guess what? Neither are you. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Why? (laughs) because they're not the judge either why answer them their opinion doesn't count if someone who plays basketball at Michael Jordan's level tells him that was a good jump shot then Michael Jordan should listen But if I tell Michael Jordan that was a good jump shot, what does he care what I say? My opinion about how great Michael Jordan is, is immaterial. This is what people don't understand. It doesn't help Father if you think he had a great sermon, if you don't understand as much as he does. This is difficult for people in this culture to understand because you've been trained in neo-paganism that your gods need your praise in order to have life. Because you yourself need the praise of others in order to find life. But it's a fake life. The reality is that Jesus needs nothing from these people. His only reference, can I say that again, Dr. B.? His only reference is the will of his Father, which is communed as a text. God is incarnate as the scriptural text in the scroll in the wilderness, in the Syrian wilderness. His Father is a Bedouin sheikh that you can only find in the Syrian wilderness between Egypt in Canaan. Simple as that. 
And if it's not in and from that text, it doesn't require a response. When you said we've been trained in neo-paganism, I thought you were going to follow up with the constant surveys we're getting about how your voice matters and how your opinion counts. And this is what we keep getting trained in, even though we don't know. We're asked specifically because we don't know. We're told that we're supposed to be evaluating everything if we're going to be a good citizen. This is democracy to the extreme, where people don't know anything, but then encourage each other to voice their opinion. Jesus cuts the conversation very short. I don't know of a political leader on either side, on any side, who says, you know what? If you don't understand the issues, I would encourage you not to vote this cycle. If you don't know how IT works, I would appreciate you not evaluate our website. If you don't understand how customer service is delivered, if you've never worked as a server in a restaurant, please do not evaluate your server. Give 20%, say thank you, and go. Don't evaluate. This need to evaluate is not reflected by Jesus. Jesus, to my utter condemnation, encourages me to remain off social media because social media is full of things that have no reference point except themselves, and there's no point in weighing in on it. What am I going to weigh in on? There's only one thing I want to weigh in on, and that's Scripture. So I'll do a podcast instead. I'll write an article instead. I'll write a book instead. But social media, and I can do a comment on somebody's thing about what they think about the Bible, I mean, it's a waste of time. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? Of course he hears, but he doesn't care, because he has only one reference, his dad. And this is only possible when you're not self-righteous. If you are not self-righteous, you don't worry about being right, and you don't worry about who is accusing you of being wrong. This is, again, difficult for people to grasp, and the way that I explain it is simple. Very often you have people on a team who are doing a job, and they want to do it the right way. And they're convinced that they have to do it the right way because there's a right way to do things. And then the person who is running the team tells them, you don't need to do it that way. Take a shortcut. Or it's okay to let this go. And you say that to them, but their principles get in the way. Because they have to do it the right way. Why? Your boss and your boss's boss are saying, don't worry about it. Now, unless it's truly a matter of personal conscience, like worth giving up your job over personal conscience, if your boss and your boss's boss are saying, don't worry about it, and you choose to worry about it, you're a prima donna. You have an ego problem. You are self-righteous. You're not principled. You're stubborn and foolish. And this is a big, big, important, critical scriptural point. 
Because your reference is what you say about yourself or what other people say about you or what you think is right. And that's why, no matter what you think about the environment, no matter what you think about war, no matter what you think about poverty, if you think you're right, it's a problem for you because you're the reference. Which is why, if it's necessary for the sake of the gospel, I will drive a giant gas-guzzling bus for the rest of my life and park it on the lawn of the church. In fact, I'll take a helicopter to church on the west side to make the point. And when everyone says, Father Mark doesn't care about the environment, I will sit back and wait for the Lord to come and separate the sheep from the goats. Because then maybe people will get the message. What is the reference? The reference has to be the will of the Father. And in this sense, the ends justify the means. The Lord may say, yes, the environment is critical, but if driving a gas-guzzling bus is what it took to teach people to love the neighbor, then Father Mark should have taken a giant screeching jet and parked it in the middle of Robert Street to make the point. He didn't go far enough in burning fossil fuels. But how can that be, Father Mark? Fossil fuels hurt the environment. Well, my dear friends, I wasn't checking your website to figure out what I was supposed to do. I was hearing Matthew. What is your reference? So if your reference is the Word of God, you don't care what others testify against you. You don't care what the websites say is right or wrong. You don't care what you hear on Facebook. You don't care what you think about yourself. You care what the will of the Father is. And when you know with clarity, that is what the purity of heart is in the Beatitudes. On the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, the purity of heart is the clarity, the purity of intention, the understanding that there is only one thing that matters, which is the will of God the Father, contained in the scroll of his instruction. When that is the only thing that matters, then you'll do whatever it takes to fulfill that one instruction, which is the love of neighbor. It's clear for Jesus, so what does he care what they're saying, Rich? All this time he's been teaching, 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 teaching. We've been talking about this. And here all of a sudden we have a long moment where he goes from the point where he said that you said, that was the interesting thing, is the last thing he said to his accusers, you have said it. And now he says you're saying it. And that's all he does. That's all he says. So the first reaction might be, well, it seems that Jesus actually isn't teaching here. But I think that the silence that he addresses his accusers with is precisely his teaching, that there is no response. And it is really helpful that you brought up the self-righteous people who always have a response, who always have a defense for themselves. When the accuser is irrelevant then you don't need a response. Just move along. When you get the junk email from the crazy relative, delete it. 
Move along. It's not worth it. If they don't have ears to hear, then you'd have nothing more to say. You've said your piece. You've let them know what you believe. Not caring about what they're going to say or think. But once you've said it and they want to keep poking at you, you're done. Keep moving. And you can sit. You can have a conversation. It's not like Jesus is going to have a conversation with these people. But you can still be with those people. You don't have to cut them off. But you don't have to respond to them either. And Jesus here is not taking seriously the accusations anymore. The testimonies are invalid. The accusations are invalid. The power that these people feel that they have is invalid. And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Why? Because the governor definitely is self-referential. The governor definitely cares what the people think. Remember, it's the Roman Empire, bread and circuses. He needs to keep up appearances because he's definitely a pagan god who definitely is fueled by the praise of the people. He is very much like the rulers of Israel in the Old Testament who consumes his own people for his own glory. I mean, it's clear as day. It doesn't even require explanation. Someone who knows nothing about anything knows that that's what a politician is. Come on. We like to think it was more so in the Roman Empire, but it's more so today. Believe me. You just don't notice it because you're part of the problem, listener as you check your iPhone while you're listening to the podcast. Are you kidding me? Why are you checking your iPhone? To see what people think about you on Facebook. Don't deny it. My advice to you, do not post a picture of your family outing. It's not worth it. Your life in the Gospel of Mark versus a picture on Facebook. You decide what's of more value. Come on, friends. Of course the governor was amazed. The governor doesn't even have the basic apparatus to compute someone who isn't interested in worldly things and worldly praise and worldly accolades, and worldly affirmation, and worldly acceptance. (laughs) Jesus has already submitted to his Father, and there's no turning back. As soon as we hear thavmazin, the marveling, you always have to be nervous when somebody's marveling at Jesus, because usually that means he's about to get stabbed in the back. And sure enough, it happens again here. He's marvel. He's marveling about Jesus, and then, uh, well, we'll see what happens to Jesus after this. The crowds used to marvel a lot about him, too, and then a crowd of them came and brought him to the circumstance that he finds himself in right now. And one difference, though, is that, remember, when the scribes and Pharisees used to accuse Jesus, he would respond. 
So why would he respond to the scribes and Pharisees when obviously they're just as wrong in their reference point as the chief priests and the governor? It's not because of the people he's accusing. It's because of the crowds. It's because of his disciples that he does it. When Jesus accuses the scribes and the Pharisees, he's not teaching the scribes and the Pharisees. I mean, they can listen if they want, but he knows they have their mind made up. The point is to offer a teaching, an alternative to the crowds who don't have a shepherd, remember? They don't have someone to lead them. So Jesus is offering them a teaching that they could be following. Here you go. Now you see why they're idiots. Here's another teaching you could follow instead. I'm going to be leaving. You want to follow me? Come with me. If not, that's easier. I can go faster anyway, because I got a lot of work to do. Now, there's nothing he can do. Nobody is going to listen to him. There is no crowd, and so he doesn't speak now. So I think that's something we can learn from this section in that his silence is contrasted very much with when he was out and about in the land teaching anyone he could. Why would he teach anyone he could out there and nobody here in the courtyard of the governor? Precisely because the one here won't listen. And this is the reason why I get so disgusted. I read about these Bible studies that they do with Congress people and, you know, how they're going to make better Christians and how we need Christians in power and in the U.S. Congress and in the Senate. And, you know, the more Christians we can get there, so let's have them read the Bible and do Bible study, and then they're going to rule better. Baloney. I don't believe it. I think that, you know, those people have already heard the gospel. They don't need any more. Let them go find somebody to teach them. They're not interested. They're interested in power. And you know how I know they're interested in power? Precisely what you said before, Father. They say what they want to say so that they get what they want. That's how it works every time. That's the point. Self-referentiality. The issue isn't the environment, and the issue isn't religion. The issue is the human ego. You're not going to save the environment because you're not a savior. How can you save the earth? You can't save your mother. For heaven's sake, how can you rule the United States? You're not God. How can you be a Christian and rule anything? You're a slave if you hear Scripture correctly. I mean, this is the thing. People talk to gain power. And in Scripture, we are not shepherds, we are sheep. We are only to open our mouths to recite Scripture. And the only reason we have to explain Scripture is because of the great chasm between the time of Scripture and the time in which we live, and because we're dealing with a text that was never meant to be translated. We were meant to submit to scriptural Hebrew, which was created for the biblical teaching. But we don't do that because we just don't for a whole host of reasons, which we don't have to go into on today's program. That's why we're talking on this program. But the reality is, no one should be speaking self-referentially. We should be always and in everything showing deference to Jesus Christ, as Paul says in Ephesians. And that's a technical commandment, meaning you show deference to the commandment of Jesus Christ, which is written.
I don't know what else to say, Rich. We just have to keep going through Scripture. And as we've said in the past, I'll say again, I don't care if we have zero listeners on the podcast. We are receiving the blessing of hearing Scripture when we do this work, and that's why we should keep doing it forever, because it needs to be done, because we were commanded to do it. And why not record it since we have to do it anyways? Amen, Father. Have a great week, buddy. Thanks very much. Take care. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.